0: Good morning. We continue in our, our 40 days of prayer. This is the conclusion of our second week. And the theme of this week has been the theme of repentance. And so I wanted to end this week really talking about biblical repentance. Repentance in the Bible is is a change of Not only behavior, though it will result in change of behavior, but it's a a change in the way you look at something. A change in terms of uh, realizing that the way you're doing something, the way you're thinking about something, the way you feel about something is either wrong or it could just be that you come to the place where you realize that what you're doing or thinking or feeling isn't working. Many times people will not repent unless they see that there's a better way, a different way. Now the problem for many people is that repentance is more, has been more understood in terms of a work or a doing. In the Roman Catholic Church, instead of talking about repentance, they instituted a way of paying back penance, of doing works of contrition that in some ways would earn you forgiveness. So in the 16th century, a Roman Catholic monk by the name of Martin Luther saw the abuses of this kind of paying back and the church being the dispenser of forgiveness, and he wrote against it. And he nailed his 95 statements to the door of the Wittenberg Church. And the very first of these statements that he made is he said, Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. So he's not talking here about paying back. He's saying that the entire Christian life, And the only way you make progress in the Christian life is to change your mind, to change your heart, to realign and reorient yourself. His idea was a pervasive, all-of-life repentance as the very best sign that we're growing deeply and rapidly into the character of Jesus. Now, the gospel transforms our whole view of repentance. You see, in in a religious way of looking at repentance, we're just trying to do enough or make enough changes so that God will be happy and so that God will bless us or protect us or answer our prayers. Repentance becomes part, in religion, of a transactional relationship. I offer this to you so that you will give this to me, but really what I'm doing is I'm trying to get God in my debt, get God to owe me something, or get God to you know, to have some leverage with God, so that I have some control. The Gospel destroys that. But if if we're trapped, as many people are, in a kind of religious repentance, then the character of religious repentance is is, is actually Is actually pretty evil. So there's three things that are true about religious repentance. It's selfish. It's self-righteous. And it's a bitter kind of repentance, not a sweet kind of repentance. In the gospel, the purpose of repentance is, is to allow us to repeatedly disconnect from the misery of sin... And to tap into the joy of our union with Christ and to tap into all the resources that we have in Christ, and also to begin to experience his character transforming our character. So the first thing I want, and and I get this from, from Tim Keller, I think it's an excellent summary about religious repentance. Because I... I believe a lot of people in the church are doing religious repentance instead of gospel repentance. So religious repentance is selfish. In other words, we're sorry for our sin because we don't like the consequences of our sin, or we got caught in the consequences of our sin. And so the fear of punishment or the experience of punishment leads us to you know, to want to avoid those consequences, so we repent. I've been in many situations where people were caught in moral failure. And they repented not because they had seen the error of their ways, or they had seen, you know, really what they had, what they were doing and why they were doing it. They, they repented because they were going to lose their job, or they were going to lose their family, or they were going to lose something, and they didn't want the punishment. They didn't want the consequences. In the gospel, you see, in, in, in the gospel, you, the, the punishment, even for your worst sins, has already been paid by Jesus. See, some people see relig- uh, in, in religious repentance, they see feeling sorry for your sin as a way to atone for the sin as a way to punish yourself so that you can convince God of yourself that if you if you're truly remorseful if you're truly miserable then you deserve to be forgiven this is the opposite of the gospel the gospel is that Jesus suffered the penalty for your sin and that now, if you are in Christ, there is no more condemnation. So there's no way, by feeling sorry for your sin, that you earn forgiveness. The only forgiveness that can be received is a forgiveness that you receive by faith, which is freely given to you in the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And this is the one that this keeps blowing me away in... In the Christian Missionary Alliance devotional, today, there's a return to that passage in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, again, it's not saying if we pay for our sins. It isn't saying if we feel tremendous remorse. All it's saying is that we recognize that this is wrong. We recognize this is the wrong direction. We recognize this is not the source of our life. It's, it's a recognition that leads then to a confession. It's a taking of responsibility. But that's our, that's our responsibility when we deal with our sin because from that point on it says, He is faithful and just forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. This is a remarkable statement. God is saying through the Apostle John that he would be unjust to, to, to not extend forgiveness. That is an incredible thought. The idea here is that God now in his his justice has included our forgiveness because he's already accepted the punishment. He's already accepted the penalty for our sin. Jesus has earned us forgiveness and acceptance. When we try to earn our forgiveness, we are denying the truth of the gospel which then makes it ineffectual. In our life, so religious repentance is self-righteous, but religious—I uh, mean—is selfish. But religious repentance, in, in in this way, of trying to earn, trying to deserve, our forgiveness, is really uh, trying in a way to to put before God that we have sufficient righteousness in order to be forgiven. You know, there's a... It's almost like a contradiction in terms. Until you realize that you have no righteousness of your own, you will not appreciate the free grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the gospel repentance comes against this religious repentance. Religious repentance is selfish. Religious repentance is self-righteous. But the other thing is that religious repentance is bitter. Because in a way... You feel like God is making you do things you don't want to do. Or God is making you live a life you really don't want to live. You see, if I'm being obedient out of fear of punishment, I'm not doing it because I want to. I'm doing it because I'm afraid not to. This is not This is not a life of fullness. It's only when you recognize, and this is, for me, this is one of the big things of, of repentance, is when you recognize that something else is a better way. And you begin to live that way because you want to. You begin to think that way. You begin to feel that way. And you begin to make choices and behaviors that reflect that this is the way I want to live. Paul Paul had an interesting statement. He said, the love of Christ constrains me. I mean, his, his view then was that in everything he did, it was permeated with this wonderful love of Christ. But you see, a person who doesn't have that, they still feel they need to repent, and they still admit that they have sinned, but it's very begrudgingly, it's very difficult for them to do so. As a matter of fact, for such a person, it's hard to say they're wrong, it's hard to admit mistakes, it's hard to be vulnerable, it's hard to uh, recognize and, and, and bring out into the open uh, the things where they need cleansing, where they need growth. See, the, the knowledge that we are completely accepted in Christ well, it doesn't make being honest and open and transparent about your flaws easy. It does make it easier. Because, you see, if I know that I'm completely accepted and I see things in my life that are out of alignment with Christ, then I really want to get them back into alignment. And the only way to do that is to bring them out into the light. And the only way you can do that is if your hope is in Christ's perfect righteousness instead of your self-righteousness or your your presenting yourself as righteous. There was a lady in a church that I planted, uh, Lisa and I planted back in, in the late 80s in a church in Atlanta. And she was... Very a, a very difficult lady. She was very religious, and it was the kind of religiosity that was very sanctimonious, very pious. So she had this this appearance of being this highly highly religious woman, and she was always you know criticizing anything that she didn't think was you know exactly up to religious form, and she was always comparing the church to a church that was like her ideal church and uh, and she was difficult very difficult and I was a young pastor at the time, and it was really difficult for me to deal with her and i i I was like you know i don 't know what to do with her one night, she called me, and she was completely drunk, and she was suicidal and and uh she had had um a life of promiscuity, and she uh, was trying to seduce a man, and he had rejected her, and she was was calling me because she was going to kill herself, so here was this lady who was so religiously, you know, uh, to the extreme. And yet, her real life, in some ways, the life that she was living in private, the life she lived outside of the church, was a disaster. was completely messed up. She did not know her acceptance in Christ. She did not know her forgiveness in Christ. She did not know the love of Christ. She only knew religion. And it was selfish. It was self-centered. It was self-righteous. And it was bitter. And she used to tell me, she said, just trying to be good is so exhausting for me. (laughs) Because she went, you know, in a way she's putting up a front instead of being real. And one of the things you see, and you see this, you see this in relationships, not just with God, but with one another, is that when you're only religious in your repentance, you actually repent less and less. Whereas when you go deeper and deeper into the love of God in Christ in the gospel, you want to repent more and more because you don't want to stay in that place of separation or of doing things that are not tapping into the resources you have in Christ. Although sometimes it is difficult and it is bitter to repent, truthfully, the sweetest thing, the, the fastest growth is to have a heart of repentance it becomes you know it 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 becomes electrifying to you to see the grace of god meet the places of brokenness in your life and we're able as we meet god's grace to drop our own denials our self-defenses and admit how deeply sin has impacted us When I first began in this, and I I think I was just putting my toe in the water in some ways, because I knew I had some sins in my life. I didn't know the root causes of the sins, but I saw the symptoms in my life. Certain areas of behavior and thinking that I knew were not in alignment with the holiness of God. And then The first time I ever took a, a spiritual or moral inventory, I really tried to confess as few sins as possible because I wanted to believe that I wasn't as bad as other people or bad as I really felt like I was but you know just by the little action of getting honest even a little bit God was so gracious and His grace met me in such a powerful way Um, I remember um, feeling freedom just from the few sins that I was able to be honest with. I remember feeling a freedom and a freedom to worship God like I had never done before. I felt like a new person. From that point on, I decided not just to repent of the few things, but I said to the Holy Spirit, how many things can I get free from? How many things can I realign to the to the to conformity to the image of Christ? Well, interesting enough, if, you know I love First John one nine, but I I was drawn today to James chapter four. James chapter four is a section in the letter James wrote that is about repentance. Listen, he says, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter return to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will, exhaust you. He will exalt you. So here's, here's what James says is the key in Repentance that repentance is resisting resisting the evil one and resisting evil itself. I mean, this is in the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or it could be translated, deliver us from the evil one. So here's Jesus' half-brother, James, and he's basically saying there's, there's evil coming at us. There's an evil agenda against us, and the the weapon of that God has given us to resist is repentance because here he says, you stand up to the lies because that that's who the enemy is. he's the father of lies i mean in in a way he's the personification of all evil he's a personal and a and a spiritual being. And C.S. Lewis described Satan as the bent one, the twisted one. This fallen angelic creature who lords over a host of spiritual beings and their one design, their intention is to get you to do evil, to turn away from God. He's the tempter, he's the deceiver, he's the accuser of the brothers. And his desire is to either get you off the path or to keep you from the path. So repentance and also here's the thing is when he can get you off the path he's also the one who accuses you. He's the one that tempts you off the path and he's the one that accuses you when you're off the path. <laughs> one time I was in a, another country and uh, we were driving uh, back to the city and we were driving in a, in in U.S. cars in another country, and so this policeman clearly saw that the car in front of me it was driven by another missionary. Car in front of me was in a, in a U.S. car, and so the light turned red, and the policeman signaled the my friend in front of us signaled him through the light to come to the policeman. So he's he's waving him through the light. My friend acknowledges the authority of the policeman, goes through the light, and when he got through the light, the policeman wrote him a ticket for running a red light. And I've always thought that's kind of a picture of Satan's activity in our life. He waves you through the red lights, and then he writes you a ticket for having broken the law. And so James is saying, there is a pressure of evil a personal agenda of evil coming against you. And so he says, resist. Well, how do I resist if I cannot and will not repent? That's what submitting to God is. It's bringing the places I'm out of alignment into alignment. It's recognizing the evil and choosing the good. It's seeing the lies and displacing them with the truth. Now, the other problem is, and and I love Solzhenitsyn's statement, he says, there's not only the problem of evil outside of us, but that line, Solzhenitsyn said, of good and evil, cuts through every human heart. He spoke this in a very uh, poignant way. You know, he was tortured, he was treated deplorably by the, the Soviet guards. And when the... Uh, when he was you know when he was being released, he was asked if he wanted to bring vengeance or wipe them out or whatever it might be and his answer was so powerful because instead of saying, "If we just get rid of them we'll get rid of evil but rather he said no the the line of evil cuts through every human heart and and it's until we have this You know, in a way, we have this understanding that it's not just getting rid of the the devil, though that's the external pressure that becomes internal in many ways. But we also have this willing ally inside of us called the flesh that also has to be dealt with, and that's what submitting to God, that's what resistance is. Now, James is, I love how he puts it here, it's a heart change. It's not just resisting evil, it's a heart change. So gospel repentance is this change of heart. In other words, it's, it, it isn't superficial. I look at something and I say, this doesn't work for me. This is a lie. This is not good. But James says in verse 8, he says, "Change, Cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. And he calls an unpurified heart double-minded. One of the commentators on this passage, Douglas Moo, who's a great New Testament commentator, said these two commands call for a radical repentance that embraces the total person. So it's hands and heart. James wants us to deal with behavior, but not just behavior. He wants us to go deeper than that, to the root of the behavior. He wants us to deal with our hearts. Of course, that means moral cleansing in the heart. I mean, that's a part of repentance, is cleansing the heart. But it's not just that. It's also unifying the divided heart. Sin divides the heart, and repentance is the pathway that gets us back to a reintegrated heart. See, that's what double-mindedness is. When you're double-minded, you value, or you, in a way, you, you keep in your heart two contradictory ideas example, there are a lot of people, their double-mindedness revolves around this. God is good. I know that God is good. They even say, God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. But they also have in their heart, when bad things happen to them, God may not be good. Or they say, God loves me. But then when things don't go the way they want them to go, they say, I'm not sure if God loves me. So when you're double-minded, you can't be trusted. Because you have not decided to firmly accept and live by the truth. If when difficulty comes, you go back to the lie, then you haven't cleansed your hands and you haven't purified your heart. And that's what repentance does. Now, sometimes it takes numerous times to go from the concept of what is good and what is true actually accepting it and then eventually to relying on it but in order to get to the reliance on the truth you have to start resisting the evil the evil one his lies his temptations you do not become an overcomer without overcoming and that which is in you is born of god and it must overcome the world Now, even though James is in some ways so blunt here, mourn, grieve, why is he saying this? Well, it's actually because the spiritual life is counterintuitive. Growth is actually a counterintuitive process in the spiritual life. Look at the pattern. You have to deal with your sin. You have to admit your sin. And then you can draw near to God. Not admitting your sin actually keeps you from God. But here's another counterintuitive thing. That in order to be exalted, this is what the scripture says, then you have to humble yourself. You have to admit how weak, how off track you've been, the places of brokenness, the places of is You can't cleanse your hands if you don't know your hands are dirty. You can't purify your heart If you don't know where your heart is divided. And so it's counterintuitive. But once you get it, there's no other way to do it. I love repentance. Now, one of the reasons I love it is because what I see in in James's writing is so clear. It's really all about grace. I didn't read you this verse, but verse 7 says, God gives more grace. So your sins... And your willingness to look at your sins and repent of your sins activates even greater grace. Our unwillingness to deal with our struggles, our unwillingness to to really open up our heart to God makes it to where we really experience, although there's tremendous free grace for everyone, we experience so little of it. But the more you're saying, God, I'm wrestling with this area of worry, I'm wrestling with my Fears. I'm wrestling with my lusts. and you're you you're bringing it before God James says it elicits more it activates more grace I mean think about This context of grace In which we repent Three times James gives us a promise When he gives us a command he says resist the devil and he'll flee from you draw near to God God draws near to you. These are all the grace of God. I mean, unless the grace of God comes, resisting the devil will do nothing. But here James says, if you just step into resisting, which is repentance, resisting, then you'll see the grace of God come because the devil will have to flee. You draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. This is all an example, all examples of free grace. This week I told you about George Whitfield, part of the Methodist movement of the of the 18th century. And his thing was, God give me a deep humility, a well-guided zeal, a burning love, and a single eye. The idea of deep humility, you know, wise courage, a burning love, and a singleness of eye. And he, and he prayed this, he said, Oh Lord Jesus, make me happy enough in you to avoid sin. You see, in some ways, if repenting, if repenting doesn't change us from our misery to a joy, then we're not going to stay there. So he said, make me happy enough to avoid sin in you, wise enough to avoid danger, that I may always do what is right in your sight. Another, another writer, I know I'm running out of time here, but another writer said, Drawing near to God is the most comprehensive expression to describe the soul's attitude towards God. Prayer is the culminating point of this attitude. Drawing near to God describes the character of the Christian's life. In the meditation of our hearts, in the desires of our souls, in the activities and enjoyments of our daily path, we approach God, for we wish to live before Him, conscious of His presence, in Mm -hmm. constant dependence, and in constant enjoyment of His grace. See, that's the goal of repentance. Conscious of His presence, in constant dependence. You cannot be in constant dependence on God and living a lie. In constant enjoyment. Of his grace that's what repentance does that's why it's so sweet would you receive even today the Holy Spirit is the spirit of repentance because it may he makes it sweet for us to turn from our sin and to turn and draw near in the grace of God to our accepting and loving and forgiving God dear Jesus thank you for these powerful truths We repent of religious repenting, of being selfish, fearful, of even being self-righteous and thinking we had something that you owe us or that we had worked in some way to deserve forgiveness. Lord, we uh, we come this day as those who are objects of your free grace. Uh, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Mold us, make us, uh, use us in such a way that our repentance uh, changes the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for joining me today. I'll see you Monday.